Ladies and gents, welcome to this week's episode of Tell Us Something We Don't Know, a serious chat with a comedian. My guest today has not only been a friend of mine for 30 years, but has become one of the world's best photographers. An Australian-based commercial and fine art photographer who perfectly captures scenes that resonate the decisive moment. He employs the use of delicate tones, refined composition, and a precise depth to draw the viewer into his images, provoking curiosity about the scenes and the people in them. Now, I'm just going to take a minute, if I may, to go through some of the awards that he's won, just some of them, okay? So in 2009, he was awarded the AIPP Commercial Photographer of the Year. In 2013, he was honoured to be uh, an Ilford Master. In 2014, he was the Street Photographer of the Year as well as the Victorian Travel Photographer of the Year. 2015, he won the Australian Top Travel Photographer of the Year and was a finalist for the International Travel Photographer of the Year. In 2016, he again won the Australian Top Travel Photographer of the Year. In 2017, he wins the Photographic Book of the Year, titled Urban Clarity. 2018, the WPPI honoured him as a Master Photographer, as well as releasing Volume 2 of his book, Urban Vitality. In 2019, wins the Victorian Travel Photographer of the Year. These are just some of the awards that this gentleman has won. Steve... Isn't it time you step aside and stop competing, mate? <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know how all of that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Steve, welcome, mate. Thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Now, Steve awesome. and I met in 1989 in music class, right? I, I, yeah, when you said 30 years, it's like, wow, it really it, It's been 30 been. years, hasn't it? Holy crap, yes. Maybe more. Okay. Yeah. Maybe more. Yeah. yeah. So we met in music class, and we're actually in a band together. So I played keyboards, and True. Steve played the bass, and we actually did not bad, did we? We were okay. We were, I think we good. won Battle of the Bands and stuff like that. This is we, back in Sydney. We played. We played Australia's Wonderland. We did. Remember, I've got pictures. You know, I've got pictures of that. <laughs> I love it. So let's tell us about your story, mate. This is not about me. Let's tell us about yourself. So you're born in Sydney, right? And I always remember at school, you always had a uh, a camera in your hand. Tell us, tell us how that all happened. Yeah, so I just found photography really quite natural. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting a, a camera, I think it was for my eighth birthday, as a present. Right. And I just naturally took to it. it from, was, from, from your mum and dad? From your dad? What? No, uh, this particular camera was from my auntie. Right. Um, yeah, get, getting to a, a really special camera that my dad kind of gave me when I was about right. 12. Yeah. Um, by that stage, I was right into photography. So mm -hmm. I started started photography really quite early. I, I could just, I don't know, it just kind of, I couldn't draw, I couldn't paint, mm -hmm. especially at that age. Yeah. And make no, um, make no guesses, I was a pretty bad photographer back then too. Yeah. But well, look, <laughs> it was I, a joy. I, I've got to say that obviously, you know, we're pretty much the same age. So I remember being eight or nine years old. I don't ever remember having any fascination with a camera or any friends of mine having fascinations with cameras at that age. That's pretty unique, isn't it? Would you say? Um, I guess I guess so, looking back at it. Mm. For me, it just felt completely natural. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I, I don't know. For, for me, it actually excited me. It actually yep. found a bit of passion with it. Right. Uh, and I really enjoyed the, the whole kind of process. So to tell it, to talk to us about being an eight, nine-year-old with a camera in your hand. Where did you, how did you learn more? Obviously, there was no internet back then. Where did you learn more about the camera? Ah, yes. Yeah. So thankfully, you know, the, the good old corner news agents, right. uh, they had a whole flurry of all sorts of um, camera magazines and that type of thing. So yeah. 
um, you know, I'd save up my pocket money. Um, I, I wasn't working then um, by that stage, but when I had a part-time job, um, yeah, I'd save up my pennies and, and kind of buy a photographic book, learn about the, the sort of processes and that type of thing. Back then, it was all film too, so there was no kind of mention of digital. Yeah, yeah. I remember because there was a 12 shot, a 24 shot, 36 yes. shot. 48. Exactly. If you're a big shot, I remember how rich did you feel when you dropped off the film and said, I'll have doubles. Remember, yeah, I know. Remember the doubles? You just yeah. go, oh, wow, I got money. I got two pictures. It's like, and, make it rain. And so, you remember we used to put the film in the camera. There's young people watching. We used to have the film. And this is actually, uh, you know why I'm pretty good at what I'm saying? Because this is actually a routine of mine. But anyway. <laughs> oh, no. sorry, sorry to hijack your. <laughs> your, your, your guest appearance here but you put the film in the camera I don't know if, if you remember this you know when you put the film in the camera and you take the picture and then there's that little wheel on the side yeah. you roll it to the next shot do you remember if you got a roll of 24 pictures and you got to the end and you had to wind it to, to get to the end before you could take it out because if yeah. you took it out before it would ruin the whole film right exactly yes do you ever remember getting to the 24th picture then winding it I got an extra picture you remember you used to get yeah. 24? It was like you won lotto back in those days, remember? It was. It yeah. was pretty special. Yeah. So going back to you, mate. So go back to you. So, so, so you're 8, 9, 10 by this stage. You know, when, when did you start getting really, I mean, serious into it? Because from what you told me, you, you had your own dark room in your bedroom. Yeah, absolutely. So um, who, who, as... what, what 12-year-old has that? How does that happen? <laughs> a, a, a very passionate one. Yeah. Um, so what ended up happening was I ended up, kind of really getting involved with, with photography. And, you know, film, even back then, wasn't that cheap. Um, you know, you, you'd drop off a roll of 12, I think I was doing back then, uh, off to the chemist and pick it up a week later. And it's like, oh, wow, I could maybe keep one of these. And, you know, it was all part of that process. Um, so uh, essentially, as my kind of um, passion grew with it, and I was also into video cameras by that stage as well. So playing a little bit around with motion and, and stuff like that. Uh, my father ended up giving me uh, his camera. I did a little bit of research on it since last time we spoke, and it was purchased by him in 1952. Um, it was a pack set, and uh, it was basically a very run-of-the-mill sort of rangefinder camera yep. um, in Germany. So right. he was obviously Italian. Yeah. Um, and he bought it while he was doing his service and, and that type of thing, and yeah. then actually brought it over when he migrated uh, in 56. Do you remember so him he, using it, though? Or was it, did, did he buy it and just sort of stayed, you know, collecting exact, stuff? Yeah, exactly. Never. I never actually had ever seen this camera. Um, right. It was always tucked away, yeah. um, kind of hidden. And yeah. the reason why, he could never actually get it to work properly. Right. So, because it was completely manual, uh, you had to adjust all the settings like shutter yeah. speed, so on yeah. and so forth. Um, he could never really get a good use out of it. Right. So, yeah, he looked just one day, gave it to me, um, put a roll through, and yeah. that's really how I started really getting going. And, and how old were you at this stage? I was about 12. Right. And but how, how does a 12 year old afford a dark room in their bedroom? What did your parents say? <laughs> How'd you pay for it? Who helped you put it together? Tell us well, about that. Well, the good thing is, well, as you know, at, mm. at our school, we didn't yeah. have kind of like a photographic course or class or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So by this stage, I was actually working um, at a butcher. 
just cleaning up every Saturday morning. And as, as a 12, I, 13, 12 year old? Yeah, 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 you know, because child law labours back then were <laughs> <laughs> not existent. Yeah, we can get away with it now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, I think I was getting about 20 or $30 just for four or five hours back then. So that was pretty good money. Yeah. Um, for, you know, for a 12 year old. Um, the, the good thing was if you purchased chemicals, they could last quite a while as well. So it was pretty frugal. It was pretty, um, you know. When you say chemicals, the, the chemicals to, uh, to develop film. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yes. Okay. So initially I was only developing film because mm -hmm. that was the easiest part. Mm -hmm. um, and then later I ended up purchasing an enlarger, like the old, it's almost like a, a kind of... Um, a lamp that shines uh, your negative onto unexposed paper, and then right. you ex then you put the paper through the chemicals, yep. Yep. and then that's how you get it all. It was all yeah. black and white, yeah, and relatively simple process. Yeah, and it's really interesting hearing you talking about this because I don't, I would never have imagined speaking to you about photography and thinking that you would have been into it at that early age. I mean, you like you look at you look at you know people like Britney Spears, for example. You know, these people don't just start singing when they're 20 years old. All of a sudden, they've got this amazing voice. And I mean, you, you look at her history. She's been doing it since she was five or six, right? Exactly. And yes. so it's no wonder you've become such an amazing photographer, given how early you started. Yeah. So, but what did your parents say? Like, you know, you had Italian parents, right? What, yeah. What's, you know, why don't you go clean, clean the leaves off the gutters? What do you... you know, <laughs> concrete the front, you know, water the, the concrete in the front. What, what are you doing in your room in a dark room? What did they say about that? Well, the, the good thing um, was they, they kind of put up with it for, for a little bit. When I was yeah. getting older and I was still interested in it, Yeah. Um, you know, my father said, you know, it's time to get a trade. Right. <laughs> you know, get a trade. Yeah. Don't, don't rely on a career in photography. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that was just his thought process yeah it was just that generation right um thankfully i was pretty defiant yeah <laughs> when did you start playing bass guitar though ah see i reckon that was i tried um i tried guitar tried mm -hmm. electric guitar but i that just didn't work mm -hmm. so i'm thinking bass guitar was around about 15 yeah right so okay. year nine year 10 perhaps yes yeah. yeah sure okay Something just, like that. just before we met because we met in year 11 because I, yeah, I, I, I came to christian brothers in year 11 so where do you go from there, right? So you've got this keen interest in photography. Um, what did you do after school? Because we kind of sort of, I, I, you know, I went to uni. What, what did you do after school? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I did get a trade. I yeah. was a forklift truck driver right. um, for, for only a few years. Yeah. But at that same time, I went straight into study with photography. Yeah, because it's so, hard to imagine you doing that, knowing how creative you are. You know, and you hear, you know, we, we did music and we, we did okay out of it uh, yeah. in terms of, you know, not money, but I'm saying, you know, we, we were, like, you know, we were playing Battle of the Bands and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, we kept the beat. Yeah, we kept the beat. <laughs> uh, that would have, you would have had this itching inside you, wouldn't you, to, to explore that creative side. I'm, that's what I'm really interested to know more about. Absolutely. So... The, the strange thing was, I don't I'd never felt like I was actually creative back then. Right. Even back then when I was photographing. Yeah. Um, I felt like I'd, I'm a far more technical photographer than I am 
um, that kind of using photography as an art form to express myself. Yeah. So for me, I think it was the actual process of creating, not necessarily creating the art, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Let's fast forward because there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff that we're going to talk about today. Um, so, so, so what do you do from there? How do you get to where you are now? Give us a sort of a 30,000 foot view of, of how you got to where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back now, I've actually changed my career three times over the last 30 years or so. So the, the first 10 years directly yep. after school yep. and into my 20s, um, I was initially working at a couple of camera photographic labs. Yep. So yet again, this was way before digital or perhaps a good 10 years before digital. Sure. So everything was getting processed via film, uh, slide transparency, well, E6 process. Um, and I slowly worked my way up um, and ended up managing a, a commercial lab in Sydney. Right. So that was kind of uh, looking after other photographers and, and that type of thing, processing their work, kind of getting it back out. So that was kind of my high 20s. Mm -hmm. um, at that stage, though, I started photographing weddings, not for myself, but for other assistants and, yeah. you know, assisting and, and getting into that sort of realm. Nothing ever that I really enjoyed about photographing weddings, yeah. except really... Um, Sharing somebody's moment, yeah, essentially. Because you would have got over 120 weddings a year at one stage. Yeah, you? in the end, absolutely. Yeah. So in my next phase of my career, yeah. um, I ended up purchasing a, a wedding studio up in Newcastle, New South Wales. Yeah. And I built that over the, the 12 years that I actually had it uh, to well over 120 weddings a year, yeah. a couple of full-time staff, and yeah. maybe about three or four different contractors over that time as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very busy. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Right. And, and we're both Sydney boys, but we've both ended up living in Melbourne. Why did you move to Melbourne? Because at one stage you wanted to go to Seattle, right? Correct. Yes. So um, essentially, whilst um, kind of building my dream in terms of photographing weddings and, and kind of re really running a, a big studio and stuff like that, I was burning out, essentially. So I was doing about 80 to 100 hours a week. Um, yeah, if anybody out there ever has run their own business, uh, it is flat chat and it never ends. So by that stage, and of course, being a wedding photographer, um, I lost all my friends due to me being at work all the time. Yeah, of course, because so, most of them are on the weekends, right? Absolutely. Saturdays, Sundays, Fridays. Yeah. So essentially, um, I started to think about the future. And this was around about 2008, around about 2009. So the beautiful thing about this was it's like, okay, I'm going to start planning on retiring from wedding photography. And uh, by that stage, I just started going overseas. And I visited Seattle and just immediately fell in love with it. It's an interesting uh, I, city, isn't it? What did you like about it really Seattle? Is. Um, the a few people have asked me that over the years, and yeah. you know what? I can't answer it. Mm. I, I don't know. There was just something about it that um, it was the kind of threaded culture that was that is somewhat evident there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that the people were absolutely amazing. The the views, the weather, um, you know, it was just really yeah. That something spoke to me about it. Um, 
And that's essentially where I was headed. What happened and what ended up stopping that for me was, um, by that stage, the GFC. Right. So the global financial crisis. Yep. Um, we didn't really get affected by it here, at least financially, mm -hmm. but the confidence went out right. um, within business, um, especially the wedding, wedding industry and, and stuff like that, because every, everybody was uncertain. Yes. Um, it was kind of like a financial sort of pandemic back then. Right. Didn't know whether it was yeah. going to come and hit over here and, yeah. and things like that. So it was, I think it was too much of a risk for me to, to kind of hop off and just go over to the States when literally they were starting to spiral down into turmoil. Yeah. In hindsight, they did recover really quite well, but yeah, yeah obviously didn't know that. Yeah, it's interesting that you um, you started off. Uh, you were a commercial photographer of the year in two thousand nine, which is around mm. about the time that you moved to Melbourne, right? Somewhere around there. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But like, how do you go from being a commercial photographer to three or four years later being the travel photographer of the year? You know, <laughs> and and why? Well, tell yeah. us why you're a successful commercial photographer in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the photos that I actually ended up winning yeah. um, with the 2009 commercial photographer of the year were actually of brides. So right. by that stage, I shot for Australian Vogue. Mm -hmm. um, yes, it was. And, um, and I submitted some of those images from the editorial into this this competition. Right. AIPP stands for the Australian Institute of Professional Photography. Yeah. So it's kind of like our sort of institution. Yeah. And it's kind of like our logies. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, and Does everyone so get from... smashed as well? <laughs> well, yeah, used to. Pre-COVID. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because I was kind of head down, bum up throughout the years in my own business, I never really kind of saw many other... Um, examples of what other photographers were doing. Uh, sure, I'd kind of keep keep ahead of trends and, and things like that. However, um, I think a lot has to do with my success is stop looking, stop looking at other photographers and seeing what they're doing, but then allow yourself to develop your own style, your own look. And then of course, that's when you start to, I guess, become a trendsetter, trendsetter and kind of go at it that way. So, so what and is your style? Tell us about that. That's what, what, what's made you successful and stand out from other photographers? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very clean geometric type of style. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't, it's very kind of um, common now. And common's not the right word, but it's, it's more, more kind of seen now. Yeah. But back then, only in like 2015 or 14, thereabouts, it was relatively new. And I developed that because after I did end up um, closing the, the wedding business, yep. I ended up traveling for at least a good year, mm -hmm. um, going back and forth, not only from the States, but from Europe as well. Right. So um, the beautiful part of that is I had no kind of briefs that I had to, to follow for my clients or work. Yep. I was just walking the streets and just kind of photographing what was in front of me. Yep. And from there, I developed that kind of style. Right. And, and why do you think, okay, so here you are, you were doing commercial photography, then you've gone traveling and you would have just been taking pictures for your own self, I'm assuming. Mm. There would have been fantastic travel photographers already 
right? Yes. Why do you think that, or what, what is it that you have that has overtaken them? How do you go from being a great commercial photographer to being a, you know, winning the Victorian photographer and Australian photographer or making the shortlist for the international travel photographer of the year? What, why do you think that happened? Yeah, so I'm thinking if you think about what a travel photographer would be, it would kind of be like a National Geographic uh, photographer walking or, you know, hiking in the Amazon, taking photographs of primitive tribes, that type of feel. That's one part of travel photography. Another part um, is perhaps going to resorts, um, let's say in, in Fiji or the Bahamas, taking photographs of resort lifestyle and, and things like that. That's another version. What I was doing was actually really honing in on urban landscape. So urban buildings, uh, the streets, and actually making them look and feel quite polished. Not the dirty, dingy streets that some may think. Like Let's, uh, let's say, for example, in downtown LA, there's some really seedy kind of um, streets down and around in there. However, there's some really beautiful streets um, and some amazing architecture in there as well. So I was honing and kind of um, working towards making that kind of beautiful. So, so basically that geometric, clean, urban sort of landscape photography that you were doing, which had gotten you the prize of the commercial photographer of the year, you sort of applied those techniques but to travel. Is that? Am I right Correct. in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It didn't actually happen overnight. It was a development. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, well, the, for your first award was in 2009, and then your, your first uh, travel photography award was in 2014, I believe, right? Correct. And then you won yeah. a whole lot of, you know, every year you were winning awards. How did that change your career and your life? Well, um, I found out early on that winning awards doesn't necessarily gain more work, what, especially in the wedding industry, because immediately what people thought was that, you were way too out of budget or way too expensive and then not even bother inquiring about it. So um, it was always a double-edged sword. The beautiful thing and the synergy that I have with my career at the moment, mm -hmm. um, kind of moving a little bit forward now living in Melbourne, mm -hmm. is yeah. that I've attracted a lot of architectural clients yeah. and um, like a lot of shop fitters and that type of thing mm -hmm. from my street photography because they wanted that type of style um, already present in my own personal work. Yep. And so in a roundabout way, that has given me um, even more play because I'm not... They're essentially choosing me purely because they're enjoying the, the personal work that I do. Right. And, and not normally the other way around. Yeah, and you've gone on to teaching and also judging photography. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to challenge myself with, and this actually, I started teaching in 20, 2009. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a big year of change. I think I was frustrated with a lot of things at that stage. Um, so one thing that I really wanted to push myself um, off into my, my kind of outer comfort zone was to actually publicly speak more and teach and really kind of pass on my knowledge by that stage uh, to other students. So I started very small um, teaching TAFE and I still do it today. So I only teach a day, maybe two days a week if yep. they need me. Um, so it's all very part-time, but I still get such a kick out of um, teaching people. Yeah. And just watching the satisfaction that they grow. 
Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. I know, look, I, I know I've spoken to you about it and you taught me one thing and that really changed the way that I take... I mean, not that I'm... I, I, don't, I, don't, I just use my iPhone, right? Mm. Um, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But um, one thing that you told me that you taught me about was composition and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in detail about composition in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and I found that when I was going overseas on my own or with a friend of mine at sort of similar age and we'd sort of hurry through a city and we'd take pictures, um, that, af- that afforded me to take one kind of picture. But uh, in 2019, I went with my, my parents to Italy and my mum had a bit of a sore knee and so I would walk ahead and I'd have to wait for her to catch up. Which afforded me the time to actually whatever, whatever subject that I was taking a picture of to get it aligned perfectly, and you had taught me that. Then I started putting these pictures on Instagram on the stories, and the amount of people that I had uh, complimenting the pictures, like, "Man, what what camera are you using? I'm just using an iPhone, you know. Like, hey, hey, are you going to release a book like one of those coffee table books of all your pictures?" And I started I to, to get this following just for my pictures. And it was because of one thing that you taught me. So thank you, Steve. And so I can imagine you know, how, how much satisfaction it must give you, um, you know, teaching photography. Okay, so if we've got any budding amateur photographers or people who are, you know, consider, some, consider themselves professional here, let's hear it from the master, okay? What makes a good picture? Well, that, that is almost a how long is a piece of string kind of question. But um, if really the main point of a, a photograph is it's to be able to share without words yes. something that you want to say and that can be easily understood to anybody that views it. That wasn't actually there. Right. So, okay. it, I mean, it could be as simple as a family photo. Yep. Um now, well, I will get into the technical parts of it all. Yeah, please but do. But it, it should also attach an emotion to it as well. Mm-hmm. So it could be laughter, could be sadness or sorrow. It all depends. Right. So it's the, it's the emotion of what you're trying to say. Right. Okay. It's almost like a poem, but sure. without words. Yep. Okay. That's a poignant way of describing it. And, and technically, you know, the lighting and composition, equipment. You know, tell yes, us yeah. more about that. So. So if you have had experience, even with your camera phones, where you take photos and for the yep. life of you, you can't get a good shot, yep. then it's almost always the light. So okay. a really good, starting at the, the very basics, the really good rule of thumb is if you're in a park, for example, um, choose either a fully lit area or a fully shaded area and not a combination of both. So your cameras can't, in any camera, can't actually see the really bright highlights and the really dark shadows all at once. So, uh, in, and this also means what you see past the people you're photographing as well. So if, if everybody that you're taking a photo of is in shade, but if you look past them and everything's really bright, then they're going to come out like a cutout, like a silhouette. So the best thing to do is kind of spin around and find the right light first before you think that you've got the right background. Well, why is it that I find that if I take pictures fairly early in the morning, 
or late in the afternoon from a sunny day, why do those pictures turn out better? They turn out better because the sun is actually cutting through our atmosphere mm -hmm. and it's kind of diffusing the light. So it's like, a, it's like putting on really nice sheer curtains over your window yeah. and it just softens the light really nice as well as giving it a nice golden hue. Right. Yeah, so instead of photographing at midday yeah. where the sunlight makes you kind of look like a raccoon. Sure. Um, you're keeping it during, and there's a photography term for it, it's called the golden hour. So that's usually an hour after the sun sets yeah. or an hour before the sun rises. Okay, that's, that's great. Usually a really soft, perfect time to photograph. Yeah. Now talk about composition a little bit. That, this one was, uh, was very interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of composition, one of I ended up developing a talk um, mm -hmm. using Gestalt theory in terms of how composition is actually dealt with. And really in its simplest form is we live in a 3D world and all we're doing when taking a photo or drawing or painting or taking a video what we're doing is squeezing this whole 3D realm into a 2D object or a 2D plane. So we get, and that plane actually has barriers. So um, this Gestalt theory or the, the process of simplicity, all it's saying is um, if you see really complex objects in the, the world around you, just think of them as super simple shapes and then rearrange those shapes like you were just doodling it on, on, an, on a pad or just drawing it. So, for example, if you're um, in front of a person's house yep. and they have a nice, beautiful, lush green ledge yes. for their front fence. Yeah, a hedge. And like a, you, yep. Yeah. yeah, and you look past that yep. and you have a nice gable. So, mm -hmm. you know, you've got the, yep. the kind of slanted roof as well as some red on the door or something like that. And of course the green is actually happening on the, um, the hedge. Yeah. Instead of thinking that that hedge is thousands or hundreds of thousands of tiny little leaves and twigs and branches, all you need to do is start thinking about the entire shape as a whole, which is a rectangle. Rectangle, right. Yeah. Um, and likewise, with the, with the shape of the actual um, house, mm -hmm. you just think of the top of it as a triangle and you're really simplifying super simple shapes. And then that way it makes it easy to kind of move everything around within your frame. It also makes you really conscious of it as well. Right. Okay. So what you're saying is just sort of to um, move these shapes around so you get a, a feel of what... Like one thing that you taught me is like if you're going if you're going to take a picture of something like a laneway, which, which yes. sort of goes in like that, sort of the, the the point right at the end, sort of make that right in the middle of your frame, right? So yes, it looks yeah. like it's going right into the middle, or if it's going to skew to the side, make sure you've got something that sort of evens it out on the left or the right. Absolutely, yeah. and that can actually be built on. So once you're seeing all these really complex shapes, yeah simplified into really simple shapes, you can then start identifying what's called leading lines, which is what that perspective is down right. to the center point. Yeah. And then you can move all those 
sort of little areas. The trick is to actually slow down and kind of have a look at your surrounding yep. instead of trying to capture absolutely everything that yep. you see. And that's what you taught me and that's what I did. And I kind of, I, I had no choice but to slow down waiting for my mum to catch of up. Course. And it yeah. gave me that time to get it in perspective. And the, the com it was, it was just instant, you know, like pre that, that, that trip taking pictures, no one said anything after that. It was, I could have started a, a career. I reckon I could have, I could have given you a run for your money, right? You, you would have gone that. to the you would have gone to the travel photography, travel photographer of the year award, and you would have seen me there. I'm telling you, <laughs> that's how much it changed my photos. The, the problem is, there's no funny photographer of the year. <laughs> and what else, Steve? So we've talked about lighting, we've talked about composition. What about your equipment? Obviously, you know, people taking pictures from an iPhone, and I want to talk about that because that's really that's changed a lot of things, but. In terms yeah. of being a professional photographer, um, the equipment, talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, so I, I am probably not a good advocate for that because I am a gear junkie. I love uh, spending, you know, as soon as new technology comes out, yep. I'm an early adopter. I'm yep. into it and I, and yep. I love it. Mm -hmm. the, the argument to that is you don't need to be. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you actually don't need to be at all. You can get amazing photography done just on the, the amazing um, smartphones that are available now, yeah. no matter what you own. Yeah. The, the technology has surpassed anything that was available 15 years ago. Yeah. So, so when you take, the, do you still take pictures on film or is it all digital these days? If I, feel, if I do feel nostalgic, yeah. and it's rare that I do, um, I will put a roll of film through. Um, I've got a roll of film in my camera at the moment mm -hmm. <clears throat> that I started in January and it yeah. still hasn't finished. Right. So I, I don't use it. I don't photograph commercially with film anymore. Yep. For me, it's not viable right. and I'm not necessarily nostalgic about it. Yeah. So, so why, would you, why would somebody take um, pictures using film these days versus digital? What, 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 what distinction is there? Well, there's... I would... I would um, kind of compare it to the craze that, oh, it's not a craze, but kind of the movement of going back to vinyl records. Right. So something a little bit more analog. Mm -hmm. So people that perhaps never grew up with film, yep. that only grew up with kind of digital, yeah. are feeling a little bit more nostalgic and want to experience that whole kind of experimental phase. And yep. that's what... Um, film photography is treated as now right. a little bit more artistic, a little bit more experimental. Yeah, because um, the whole process is very slow. But talking about that, going back to vinyl, people do feel that there's a that there is a difference listening to music through vinyl. So, do we see a difference using film versus digital? If if we were without, to, yeah, yeah, without so if, a doubt. Yeah, if I took a digital camera on one shoulder. Uh, uh, old school camera on, on you know another shoulder and took you know one picture one camera and, and from another camera of the same subject yeah what am I going to see that's different um, yet again it's it's very similar to how digital sound mm -hmm. and analog sound works um, your the digital sound you, you know you can emulate uh, a needle scratching across a record and then put it on any sort of CD tune or, or anything like mm -hmm. that, it's not actually going to feel or sound like it actually 
having a needle go across right. um, vinyl. So it's uh, exactly the same feeling that you do uh, that is seen in photography because photography and film is actually crystals that have been um, kind of baked in with silver and have been kind of solidified in a really hard jelly. So everything about it is actually crystal. Right. It's crystallized. It's actually an organic material. You can't emulate that um, in digital. You can, you know, you can put a filter on and make it look like that. But film has a depth to it that you can look into it and yeah. through it. Right. Um, and yeah, it does have to be experienced. So how has digital then changed the photographic landscape for for you know photographers, for professional photographers like yourself? I mean, I know everyone uses it on, the, on their phone, so, you know, for us and the kids these days have grown up on their phone, so, so they don't really know any, any different. So how's it affected you? Um, I actually think it's given me more opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, I shoot a lot of drone work mm -hmm. um, for architecture nowadays. Yeah. Back in the day before drones, um, and this is not only for digital photography but new technology... I would have to maybe spend six or $700 an hour hiring a helicopter, going up and photographing that. Sure. Now, um, it's, it's a beautiful add-on sale from, for my clients, and it's very convenient for them as well. So the, the technology has changed, vastly changed the industry, but I actually think for the better. Yeah. And what about... Um, how has that affected... Uh, photographers in general in terms of okay um you know once upon a time i have to hire a professional photographer you mm. know now i might think twice if i've got someone who's semi-decent you know on, on on an iphone you know it's taking yes. away work right but what is it creating by doing that by having these cameras in the hands of virtually everybody these days what's your take on well, that yeah, the beautiful thing is I'm feeling pretty comfortable mm -hmm. that um, I'm not going to be pushed aside because and even now, actually more than ever, people need content, uh, especially in terms of Instagram yeah. and not only still, but video as well. And they do try it. I have many clients now that have come to me saying, look, I've got to admit, we've tried it ourselves. It didn't work. Why don't they look the same? And it's because you don't have the experience. You don't have the know-how. Um, and, of course, you can learn that, but that kind of takes away from their own business and their own ambitions and things like that. And so then that's why you hire a professional. Because yeah. there, there is a whole lot. Um, it, it isn't really just as, you know, pointing a camera to something, clicking the button, and then everything's good. Yeah. And further to this, where are we, going, where are we heading with photography these days? What's next? Yes, um, I think they're really exciting times. More than ever, um, film and video, uh, sorry, photography and video yeah. are needed more than ever, than ever before. Um, I think that technology is going to evolve to more um, augmented reality and mm -hmm. virtual reality. Right. We're already seeing some of that, but at the moment, it's yeah. kind of like 3D glasses on televisions. It was right. a bit of a gimmick. Yeah. Uh, but that's slowly, slowly actually going to, to kind of worm its way in to everyday 
every parts of our life. I so think. what do you mean by augmented reality? We know what virtual reality means. What do you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, IKEA is a really good example where they do now have an app where they can actually, where you can actually choose a product and point your phone at the place where you would like it well before you purchased it and it will place itself into your room so that you can actually check out whether it suits the rest of your decor and, and things like that. So that's a really positive step in terms of product sales, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, and IKEA are kind of leading the way in, in that at this stage. I've seen it um, done with homes, you know, p- people building high-end homes, and before the home is actually built, you can take a virtual tour. So is that, that's not a vir- that's, is that a virtual tour or is that an augmented tour of your, what your house is going to look like? What's the difference? Uh, I would say, um, and I'm not a true expert on it, but I would say augmented reality means that it's something that doesn't actually exist yet. Mm-hmm. And a virtual tour is perhaps something that does exist, but you've taken it with three-dimensional cameras right. and that you could walk through later, kind of like Google Street. Yeah, yeah, cool. Look, man, I'm very conscious of time before we, we go. I've still got a couple of questions, if, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, have you got a favourite camera that you use? And do you, and do you keep all your cameras? I do. I actually keep most of them. The workhorses I kind of sell off. Yeah. Um, but I ashamedly have probably well into the almost thirty cameras. Right. Some most don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of why I keep them. But yeah, they're, they're kind of tucked away in a couple of shelves uh, on display, of course. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of nostalgic for that type of stuff. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of people will be thinking. What, what, you know what I'm about to say. Have you, did you keep your dad's camera that he gave you when you were 12? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. So okay. that that is um, still st- pride of pride of place. Yeah. That is probably the oldest thing that I actually own. Yeah. Right. Okay. Steve, who do you think is a great photographer? Who do you look up to, or who's you know one of the world's best photographers in your eyes? Yeah. Um, things change uh, for me. I. I don't necessarily look at photographers much anymore right? because uh, I do have a really active passion about um, not only directing but motion. Yeah. Um, I would actually have to say cinematic directors like Stanley Kubrick, Wes mm-hmm. Anderson, their visions are far more inspiring than perhaps um, photographers that are, that are at least current. Yeah, right. So, so what, 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 what does Stanley Kubrick do? That, that you've taken, that you thought, okay, let me apply that to my photography, for example. Yeah, well, just, just the way that he got his uh, director of photography to, to kind of compose shots. Right. Um, to create tension within a scene. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of, you know, The Shining, for example. Mm-hmm. Just really kind of unusual shots. Um, Barry Lindbergh, the, the use of the, the fastest lens, essentially, that was ever made. Um, so most of those scenes were actually lit just by candlelight uh, right. without any kind of um, yeah, professional uh, lighting kind of rings, yeah. lighting at all. Yeah. So just really innovative and, and just working working the camera and his art to the best of his ability. Yeah. Like Wes Anderson, for example, his colour, the colour palettes that he uses and the composition is incredible. Like the Budapest Hotel, for example. Yeah. yeah. Um, movies like that, yeah. really so, incredible. So you'd, you'd suggest um, for young up-and-coming photographers to, to look at film directors? 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And how they, they, they see things. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of great television as well, um, especially American television, mm-hmm. is beautifully lit. Mm-hmm. Um, NCIS, for example, and I don't get into the, the kind of whole cop show yep, yep. scene, uh, but just the way they're lit is mastery. Americans really do do that really well. Right. So if you want to learn lighting, yep. definitely, um, I think it was S- NCIS LA or one of those. It might have been the New York one. Yeah. Uh, the lighting was incredible. I last one, wife, she, she loves watching those kind of shows. Oh, uh, cool. Steve, what's next for you? What's next for Steve Scalone? Yes, I'm slowly edging in towards manufacturing now. So um, Manufacturing of? Like, uh, wallpaper, wall right. decals, um, prints, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Yep. Uh, so I am switching a little bit more online mm-hmm. at this stage and really enjoying that whole process. I'm a mad fan of logistics. Yeah. So I, I like getting all my systems in place and, and that type of thing. So, you know, I can churn out a product if I needed to, um, you know, within 20 minutes or so. And I, I love that type of stuff. All right. And I've got one more question, which I ask everybody who... Who, who, who appears as a guest on my podcast. But before I do, where can people find you? SteveScalone.com. Steve yes. with a... Uh, <laughs> once I, I had to sign a, a DVD for someone and I said, oh, what's your name? He goes, Stephen. I said, is that with a V or a PH? And he goes, it's with an S. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I, that always stood out to me. Um, so Steve... S-T-E-V-E, Scalone, S-C-A-L-O-N-E.com. Uh, where can right. we find you on Instagram? Uh, yes, Scalone yep. underscore photo yep. will get you there. Yep. Okay, great. Last question, Steve, before we go. What do you do to live your best life? Slow down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, simplify things. Um yeah, especially with some health challenges and, and that type of thing mm-hmm. lately. Yeah. Definitely appreciating the smaller things or the mm-hmm. simpler things in life is, yeah. I think, the best way. I think that's the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Steve Scalone, thank you very much, mate. You've, it's been a pleasure. I actually learned a few little tricks tonight, today. Good oh. Um And, uh, mate, I might see you at one of these awards. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Scalone, thanks very much, mate. Thank you. All a the pleasure, mate. Great, 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 great.